This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Making everyone happy on vacation isn't easy, but you know what is? Going to Aruba. All you have to do is walk out your door to find pristine pools, relaxing white sand beaches, and an island teeming with outdoor activities that'll put a smile on any face. You won't just feel great, you'll all feel great, filled with a calmer, more peaceful vibe that radiates Aruba's warmth. And the best part is, it never fades. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your family trip at aruba.com. This is On Point. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. At the Vatican, a month-long gathering of Catholics is coming to a close. Called a synod, cardinals, bishops, and priests from around the world have been discussing the future of the church. And for the first time ever, Pope Francis also invited lay people, including women. Il protagonista del sinodo non siamo noi, è lo Spirito Santo. Pope Francis there speaking at the Synod's opening ceremony where he said the protagonist of the Synod is the Holy Spirit and encouraged everyone to confront their differences. Synod attendees are considering topics such as whether women should be allowed to be deacons, should the church bless LGBTQ plus unions, and whether Catholicism's millennium-long prohibition of marriage for priests should come to an end. On Saturday, the last day of the Synod, the group will release an official report. Conversations from inside this month's gathering prior to that have been kept mostly under wraps. But attendees have been participating in tightly controlled media briefings. Here's Archbishop Stanislaw Gdenski of Poland speaking yesterday. Per la mia meraviglia, eh, i discorsi erano del tutto pacifici, cioè non si cercava eh, le differenze. Gudensky is saying that he was struck by how exchanges have been truly peaceful and that they didn't focus on differences. Here's Catherine Clifford, a theology professor at St. Paul University in Ottawa. Humanity has need of our united witness, a credible witness to the possibility of healing and reconciliation. So, by walking together, sharing God's abundant love for all humanity and all creation, we are growing closer and learning to live again as one. So as the Catholic Church considers its own future, what is the significance of this synod, especially for a church with worldwide reach? Are the big changes that we talked about even possible? What is at stake? That's what we're going to discuss today. And joining us now is Kathleen Caveney. She's a professor of theology and law at Boston College, and she joins us in the On Point studio. Professor Caveney, welcome to On Point. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. So first of all, um, just so that we all share the same sort of basis of knowledge, I was wondering if you might explain what a synod is, how often they take place. Well, a synod is basically a 
a meeting. Uh, that would be a good way to talk about it. Or a council um, is another word. The Latin word concilium um, and the Greek word synod mean more or less the same thing. The word church actually, you know, comes from ecclesia, which is another kind of assembly. So the big picture is that it's a gathering of the faithful, a gathering of people. And bishops have been getting together in synods regularly. Some of them are uh, global. Some of them are based in a continent. So this is one more meeting mm. in a series of meetings that the church holds. But I've been seeing that it's been described as, or as you were telling me before the show, its actual title is a synod on synodality. <laughs> that, is, that is really self-referential, isn't it? But I think the way you can think about what a synod on synodality is, is although the meetings of the church in the past have laid claim to a certain kind of universality and participation, it's really been limited in terms of who could attend and what kind of people could attend. So what the Pope is trying to do with this and what the Synod on Synodality is trying to do is say, hey, we really need to get more people involved, not just bishops, um, but also lay people, uh, not just men, but also women, and not just people from Italy or maybe Europe, or if we're if we're feeling generous, North America, but from all around the world. And how do we get a Catholic church, the word Catholic means universal, mm -hmm. together and actually talking to each other? That's right. why it's a synod on synodality. So, I mean, it seems like it's rather significant that Francis has opened up the the, the group of people that the synod would would uh, listen to so wide. I mean, is it is it sort of uh, Francis's way of saying, here's what we I, I want to lead the church towards? But then also I'm wondering on the flip side, you know, I always have to just question um, optics versus actual sure. structural change. Sure. No, those are both good questions. I don't think this is Pope Francis, it is idiosyncratic vision. Well, you know, I'm a little bored in Rome. Let's just bring in a few people. I mean, that's not what it is. What he's trying to do is to implement the Second Vatican Council, which was the most important uh, gathering of the church in the 20th century, which set the blueprint in the, in the mid-60s, early to mid-60s, for the way the church is organized. And what the church said there was that the church is the people of God, mm. not just the bishops with a few people watching TV as extras, but all of the church matters. And the common priesthood, which is all of anybody who's been baptized, is as important and as essential um, a contributor to the church as the ordained priesthood or the ministerial priesthood. So that was in the mid-1960s. Now, maybe 60 years later, he's saying, well, let's take this seriously and get these voices into the conversation. Okay. So before we talk about some of the very um, intense issues that were uh, part of the Synod's discussion, I want to ask you about the potential backlash to the very fact of who is attending this synod under uh, Pope Francis's invitation. Because just a couple of days ago, um, in uh, First Things, I was reading a uh, article or an opinion piece by Gerhard Cardinal Mueller, and it's headlined "The Church is Not a Democracy." Mm -hmm. And in it, um, he writes that uh, if the synod is to keep the Catholic faith as its guide, it must not become a meeting for. Post-Christian ideologues and their anti-Catholic agenda. Any attempt to transform the church founded by God into a worldly NGO will be thwarted by millions of Catholics. 
wow, that's pretty sharp language, isn't it? Um, I don't think Pope Francis would agree with that description. Uh, I think that there was a lot of care that went into choosing who would come to the synod. So each bishop's group nominated a group of people. People come from all the continents. Then there were an additional group of people who were nominated because of their participation in the in the bishops uh, or in the synodal process. And then the Pope appointed even more uh, representatives in order to have balance. So the idea isn't it's an NGO. The idea is that this is what the church is, and the church is needs to, you know, to speak to one another. Okay, so then does the, the, this kind of pushback from, I would say, more conservative Catholics represent perhaps not the global nature of what uh, Francis is trying to to assemble at the Vatican or has been assembling at the Vatican, but rather the topics under discussion? I think it represents both. So I think that if you look at the dubia, which means doubt, uh, you know, doubtful. A dubium is a is a question, a, kind of a skeptical question, and dubia is the plural for that. It means that uh, they, they're concerned about the synodal process because it looks like it's suggesting that lay people uh, uh, and and the clergy should be participating, uh, you know, on an equal level. Um, and some people are worried about that, and it's suggesting suggesting that the authority of the magisterium is being challenged by this sort of democratic process. The Pope has stated that this is not a parliament. We're not all voting on mm-hmm. doctrine. But he also recognizes that the Holy Spirit inspires the whole church, and it's important to listen to how the Holy Spirit uh, is moving among all the people of God and not just the clergy. Okay. So, um I'm just trying to understand because the obviously the Catholic Church worldwide yeah. is incredibly diverse yeah. in terms of um, the aspects of theology that various groups focus right. on more than than others. Uh, the practice of even uh, mass, <laughs> sure, from place to place. So I mean, I, I I am curious about how more conservative Catholics view this particular synod. And again, just uh, quoting this piece in in First Things. I'm seeing some objection that, uh, in contrast, quote, in contrast to previous previous synods, this particular one will not address the specific content of the faith. And it's he's pointing to, I guess, his uh, his concern that um, it's not necessarily the fundamentals of Catholicism which are being discussed, matters of doctrine, but um, perhaps more social issues. Well, I think it's two things. I think it is addressing a very fundamental aspect of the faith, was what does it mean to be church? What does it mean to be part of the body of Christ? And if you look at the three big uh, uh, umbrella topics of the church, it's communion, how do we be together, participation, how do we make sure each member has its place, and mission, how do we go out and bring the good news to everyone else? So it's hard for me to see a more fundamental question uh, then what does it mean to be church in this globalized era? So I, I don't agree with him on that. Okay, so from a political perspective, if I can put it that way, sure. how important is it uh, for Francis as a leader, given what the church is today, right, in 2023, in that, you know, looks like most of its growth is happening outside of Europe and North America, right. um, and it's still roiling from the clergy sex abuse crisis as well. So how important is um, what's being discussed and who's discussing it at this synod for um, the political standing of the church worldwide? I think it's extremely important for, for a 
for several reasons. First, Pope Francis is opposed to, and he's talked about this a lot, something called clericalism, which is a sense that people in the church mainly, but it doesn't have to be only the ordained priesthood, think that they are better, they are a cast apart, that that their well-being matters more, that their insights matter more. He is, um, he doesn't deny the value and the importance of the ordained priesthood, but he says, you also need the common priesthood, um, common meaning common to all, not mm-hmm. as if it doesn't, it's not precious, um, in order to uh, understand what's going on. And I think he believes that if you had women, if you had lay men, if you had a broader sense of participation, the sex abuse crisis uh, would have been addressed earlier and more decisively. If you have parents, if you have aunts and uncles, if, uh, if you have teachers all saying, no, this is just ridiculous. This is evil. We have to stop. So that, I think, is part of it. Okay. That, well, we just have to take a quick break, sure. uh, Professor, and I'll let you answer the, the other part of the question about sort of the global nature and where the church's yeah. growth is when we come back. Because today we're talking about the Synod coming to an end, right, uh, in the next couple of days in Vatican and at the Vatican, I should say, and the kinds of questions that its participants are taking on regarding the future of the Catholic Church. So we'll have more when we come back. This is On Point. Support for the On Point podcast comes from Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash On Point. That's Indeed.com slash On Point. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. You're back with On Point. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. And today we're talking about the month-long meeting that has been going on at the Vatican called a Synod, which is a discussion of uh, the future of the Catholic Church. And this year, uh, participants in the Synod include lay people and women. They were invited specifically by Pope Francis. So quite a different Synod than the church has seen before. I'm joined today by Kathleen Caveney. She is a professor of theology and law at Boston College. And uh, Professor Caveney, before the break, we, you were talking about um, not only the church still uh, trying to work its way through the aftermath of the clergy sex abuse crisis, but that um, its focus or much of its focus has to be outside of Europe and North America, given where the church's growth actually is now. That's tremendously true. I mean, I think that the church has always been ideally universal, but we haven't figured out how to be actually universal um, because we haven't really brought um, into our conversation and into our attention the, the tremendous growth in, in 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 other continents other than Europe and and the U.S., particularly Africa. 
And I think that that's what Pope Francis is really concerned about, right? Not thinking of Catholicism as just your own small little parish, your own small little group. But what does it mean to truly try to understand people from elsewhere? This is something that could only really happen, if you think about it, in our current era, right? Mm. I mean, people didn't know what the Pope even looked like, actually, until the 1860s, right? The communication was... It was precarious across oceans. You know, some people would come to Rome and stay for months and then go back. Now we have the possibility of fast travel, instantaneous communication. We have the possibility of being a global church in a way that we never had before. And I think the Pope is saying we've got to do it because it's here now. Interesting. So a global church, but does that necessarily mean there would be consensus over these very thorny issues that are being discussed in this synod? Uh, we'll get into them in detail in a minute, but you know whether or not to uh, allow blessings for LGBTQ people, uh, whether or not to allow women to become deacons, and of course the, the celibacy question and priests. Um, but it's interesting. We got comment from so many listeners um, who are pra- practicing Catholics, and I just want to share uh, one of them quickly with you. This is Joe from Worcester, Massachusetts. Hi, Joe. He calls us every day and leaves very thoughtful comments. Uh, but he wanted to share this th- specific uh, thought about the Synod. As a Catholic, I am not anxious over what this Synod might or might not do. The Church has the habit of weathering storms and emerging from them that much stronger. I am reminded of Jesus' guarantee that even the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. And I think there's a couple of ways to read what Joe's saying there. I mean, one is that perhaps change does not come to the church quickly. Should we not expect any sort of revolutionary conclusions coming out of the synod? Uh, And that... Or even if that change does happen, I think Joe's saying the you know the heart of the church itself isn't necessarily going to change. I think that that's right. I mean, I really love his um, his faith in the promise of Jesus to the church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. But that that doesn't mean that the church can't change and maintain and deepen its fundamental knowledge, its fundamental commitment to Jesus Christ. And and I think that that's what the Synod is about. Uh, some people really worry about change um, and, and they say, well, you know, I need this structure in order to, you know, to, to live or survive. And what Pope Francis is saying is, what you need is a relationship with Jesus Christ. What you need is a relationship with the whole church. You can swim if you can't walk sometimes, but you will continue your pilgrimage, uh, you know, mm-hmm. to, uh, to the eternal uh, city, to mm-hmm. Jerusalem, the eternal Jerusalem, which is one of the images for uh, life after uh, death. So I, I will say, and we'll hear from them a little bit later, we did get several calls yeah. uh, from listeners who either practicing or former Catholics who had a very critical view uh, of what they see the church as being now. And we'll hear from them in a minute. But we should talk about... the th- some of the things that are being discussed, because quite frankly, having all these three things together, they're not the only things being right. discussed at the Synod, of course, but like uh, women as deacons, LGBTQ members of the church, uh, and uh, 
celibacy of a priest all at the same time seems kind of a big deal to me. Right. Um, so let's take them one by one. Could I just start sure. with a framing issue? Yeah. I mean, I reread uh, Pope Francis's response to the dubia. And, you know, a dubia is something that wants a yes or no answer. Can we do this or not do this? Uh-huh. And what was most interesting to me about the way Pope Francis responded is, is basically saying, I'm not going to give you a yes or no answer. Trying to channel me into a narrow box is understanding theology in too rigid a way. Uh, What we need to do is have a broader conversation. So he is resisting, I think, a binary account of yes or no. Church, The church teaching stays, he wants to say, but it can get deeper and it can modify itself. And there are examples in the past where it did that. The most uh, pressing is in the Declaration on Religious Liberty. The Second Vatican Council affirmed religious liberty for all people as what is due to people with dignity um, as made in the image and likeness of God. They have to pursue their own call to worship. Before that, the church didn't believe that religious liberty for all people should be affirmed. So the church's teaching has changed, but you can argue it's really a deeper understanding of what it means to respect the dignity of all human people made in the image and likeness of God. So that's what Pope Francis is saying. We may change, but we're coming to a deeper understanding of what the gospel calls us to do. Help me understand that a little bit better, because, of course, my question is coming from someone out outside of the church, sure. but the, the first thought that popped into my mind was, well, then it's just theater. No, it's not just theater because um, what you're trying, it, it, it's focused on the person and the mission and the gospel of Jesus Christ. So before, say, if you take the religious liberty issue, what people said, well, we can't respect the religious liberty of everybody because that would mean that we were respecting uh, religious traditions that we believe to be false, and we can't respect falsehood. What happened at the Second Vatican Council, and this is really key, is they said, that's the wrong question. You're not asking whether you're respecting truthhood or falsehood. The more fundamental question is, are you respecting each individual's dignity as a searcher for the truth? That's the right question. Okay, so then how does that process, though, you know, th- hypothesize with me? How would that process potentially lead to something like the elimination of uh the celibacy requirement for priests down the line. Well, celibacy and same-sex marriage are on different levels. So there were and there are married priests in the Catholic Church. It's a matter of discipline. So talking about eliminating the celibacy requirement is saying, well, the discipline that we imposed 800, 900 years ago is no longer necessary for the life of the church in the West, um, but it, but it's actually doing more harm than good, so we can eliminate that. Same-sex marriage is a harder teaching, much harder teaching uh, to deal with because the church has always taught that, you know, sexuality was something that was connected to um, the marriage between a man and a woman and designed for a fruitful relationship. What is happening, I think, is that some people are saying, yes, that's that's wonderful, but we're now learning more about how human sexuality operates. And it turns out that it's not as com- uh, not as simple as we thought it was. So we need to take into account what we know about human uh, sexual development, about human sexuality, and try to think what life uh, would look like uh, for f- uh, for people who belong to Jesus in this context. Yeah, I guess the thing I struggle with is, as you just noted, again, for yeah. 
a priestly celibacy, that was a an imposition created 900-ish years ago. Right, right. It was, it was a change made by the then pope. Right. Right. So couldn't ostensibly something as simple uh, and similar happen now? I mean, he, that Francis might write uh, a letter that's full of his reasoning and thinking yeah. about church doctrine, but the conclusion is no celibacy requirement anymore. Yeah, that would be much easier to do. Okay. That's like changing a regulation. I mean, uh-huh. there are already married priests. The Anglican ordinary, if you convert from Anglicanism and you have a wife... That's a pretty big have... loophole. <laughs> so there are lots of loopholes in this. So that's that's easier. The fundamental doctrinal question is, I think the conservatives say, well, what we have in terms of faith is a pro- prohibition, uh, and it's a propositional prohibition. You know, uh, any same-sex activity is always wrong. So, and they're saying, well, or women cannot be ordained. This is a much bigger deal than married priests in the Catholic Church. And and what they say is, well, you know, that's that has to hold true across all eras. But we we funnel in different reasons. Um, and so, if one reason doesn't work, say the uh, the inferiority of women, then we put in another reason. You know, the the capacity to image the spousal relationship of Jesus to the church. Um, other people have a different view of what uh, what church teaching is, and the reasons go along with the proposition. So if the reason I don't think women should be priests is because um, I think they're inferior, then I have to go back and look at that and say, well, now that we no longer think that women are inferior, maybe we need to reconsider mm-hmm. whether women should be priests. So ultimately— on the level of doctrine is do you think the propositions hold in all contexts and swing free of the reasons or do you think a doctrine is is supported by and contextualized and can be revised in light of its uh, of its reasoning so i see okay well let's hear a little bit more from uh, some of our listeners on the these sort of specific discussion sure. points that we've been talking about. Uh, This is Joseph Malecki. He's in Mount uh, Pleasant, and he says he always wondered why women cannot be priests in the church. To him, it feels antiquated. He does wish they would change it, but he's not so sure about whether priests should be able to marry. (laughs) It's something I don't think is lines up with a lot of the church's beliefs and teachings, kind of, because when you become a priest, it's in essence like you are marrying the church itself. And I feel like something like also being able to marry someone else would kind of conflict with that a lot. Even though if the church allowed priests to marry, I could actually see myself becoming a priest. Uh, but right now, now that's not my future. So that's listener Joseph Malecki. This is Dennis, uh, excuse me, Dennis Butka. He's a listener and has been a Catholic priest of the Archdiocese of Milwaukee for the last 39 years. Wow. I don't think there's a need to discuss whether priests can be married because they were married for the first 1,100 years. I think not only should they be married, but they should ordain women priests. If the argument is that they don't resemble Christ sufficiently, why are we baptizing them into the body of Christ? Sure, it's an unbroken tradition. Anything new is an unbroken tradition. Fascinating. So that's Dennis Butka uh, in the Catholic uh, Archdiocese of Milwaukee. He's been there for almost 40 years. 
Uh, Professor Caveney, hold on for a minute, because um, we want to get the view of someone who's both in Rome and also re- uh, someone who represents the church's more broad uh, worldwide reach. So Father Tom Reese joins us today. He's in Rome. He's senior analyst at uh, Religion News Service and a Jesuit priest as well. Father Reese, welcome to On Point. Good to be with you. Hi, Tom. <laughs> Uh, Hi, Kathleen. And We're also, old friends. <laughs> um, also with us today from Nairobi, Kenya, is Father Don Bosco Onyala, and he's editor-in-chief of the Association for Catholic Information in Africa. Father Onyala, welcome to On Point. Thanks for having me. Um, Father Onyala, I'd actually like to start with you and, and get um, some thoughts from you on how um, you and uh, the church's African members even begin to think through the fact that some of these more, let's say, contentious issues are a matter of discussion in this synod. Thanks for having me uh, again. Um, Indeed, um, it surprises uh, many people on this continent that um, uh, these are um, key issues, the ones you highlight, the the, the optional celibacy and the LGBTQ um, same-sex unions and the ordination of um, women, because the continent of Africa has other um, issues that they consider uh, more fundamental, and that these three are looked at as um, not so much issues to debate or are non-issues, I would say. So tell me more about that then. What is what are the issues that African Catholics would like to see being discussed? Yeah, so with this synod going on, it started of course at the level of the of the diocese at the grassroots mm-hmm. in parishes and in uh, associations within uh, dioceses, then at the conference level, then uh, at the continental level. And and the pastoral care of families within the African context uh, um, were some of the emerging issues. For instance, within Africa, there is a practice of uh, polygamy in um, a number of uh, countries on the continent. And then there is a growing number of uh, single mothers so how does the church then reach out to these um, uh, uh, unique or uh, not so usual families within the the meaning of family uh, within the church? And so uh, church leaders uh, highlighted this, and those who met for the for the synodal meetings of the continent highlighted these as some of the pastoral issues, families that are within the polygamous unions and the growing number of single mothers on the continent. The other common issue perhaps that you've talked about in this program that emerged for the continent is clericalism. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so that is, I would say, cutting across the continent, but I see also in other continents of the world. So, Father Onyola, if I might ask... um, does this does this mean that it's possible that many African Catholics Catholics might look at what's been garnering a lot of attention in this synod as sort of the continuing um, primacy of of issues of concern in Europe and North America versus the issues of concern in Africa? 
I would say yes to that, um, and that they would be keen that the the meeting also uh, addresses what is at the heart of uh, families in Africa, so that while uh, um, attention is given to uh, what seems to be issues in Europe and America, uh, that what is what are issues in Africa are not. Uh, forgotten. Mm. Okay. Well, you know what? I'm going to we're going to take a quick break here and Father Reese, I promise we'll come back to you right after the break. You can blame it on your friend Professor Caveney who's just been saying so many interesting things that I went a little longer with her than than intended. But but uh, Kathleen Caveney, Father Tom Reese and Father Don Bosco Onyala stand by for a moment. We'll have a lot more to discuss when we come back about the future of the Catholic Church. This is on point. The world's clean energy future relies on ancient elements still in the ground. Without mining, there will not be a clean energy transition. But pulling them out of the ground comes at an environmental and human cost. Mining is intrusive, but the results are the building blocks for products that we use every single day. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. Join me for Elements of Energy, Mining for a Green Future. Five consecutive episodes right here. So make sure you're following this podcast. You're back with On Point. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. And just a quick word about something we're working on for next week. We're going to be talking about the NCAA because it's asking Congress to codify into law that collegiate athletes are students and not employees. Now, the NCAA is arguing it's to protect the amateur status of college sports. But, of course, opponents say it's about colleges profiting off their athletes because they wouldn't have to pay them. So especially if you're a former or current college athlete, we'd love to hear from you. What do you think about the NCAA turning to Congress to make a law so they don't have to pay their athletes? Uh, We also want to hear from, of course, coaches and collegiate sports fans. So send us a message. Via our On Point Vox Pop app, as I always say, if you don't already have it, why not? But go to your uh, app store, wherever that is, and look for On Point Vox Pop, and you can send us a message that way. Or you can call us at 617-353-0683. That's for next week. Today we're talking about the meeting that's coming to a close at the Vatican about the future of the Catholic Church. Um, it contains my favorite new phrase, which is a synod on synodality. But it's con- they're grappling with some serious issues uh, in the church. And we've uh, got a lot of response from listeners who have things to say about it. This, again, is listener Joseph Malecki. He's in Mount Pleasant, Michigan. He says he's always been taught that marriage is between a man and a woman uh, and should be driven by the need for procreation. He feels like blessing same-sex unions would be a sharp turn from that. And he would need more information from the church before deciding how he feels. Being Catholic to me means a lot of it is knowing and understanding and logically defining a lot of principles, what it means to be good and get into heaven. And a big part of it also is mercy and forgiveness, which is why, and love also, which is why even though I might not necessarily support something like a same-sex marriage, I still would have unconditional love for the people. They treat them on the same level as anyone else. And here's listener Anthony, who's in Charlotte, North Carolina. He says he's not surprised that the church would consider changing its position on some of these hot-button issues because 
Anthony says the Catholic Church has always been a hypocritical institution. The Catholic Church is all about maintaining power, wealth, and mind control. It's what they've always done. It's been millennia. And why the Catholic Church is even allowed to exist in this country after all of the atrocities that they've committed over the years, the child molestation and the sex scandals, I have absolutely no idea. So, Father Reese, you're there uh, in Rome right now. Can you tell me why you think uh, the church needs to uh, consider some of these changes? I mean, you heard Anthony saying, well, it's part and parcel of how the church operates. It's just a hypocritical action here. But you have a different view. Well, I think the thing you need to remember is that prior to this meeting in the Senate, uh, the church has had two years of consultation all over the world where the Pope asked uh, people to come forward and share uh, what their concerns were about the Catholic Church. That's where the, the real agenda for this meeting came from. So there were lots of different concerns uh, from different parts of the world. Uh, For example, the issues you've mentioned of married clergy, of uh, blessing of gay couples, uh, women deacons, these mostly came from Europe. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whereas from Africa and Asia, there's a great concern about refugees, about uh, families that are broken up because someone has to leave the home to get a job and send money back to home. They're worried about uh, trafficking of women and children. Uh, th- these are in civil wars where people are dying. Uh, so th- there's different concerns that came uh, up to uh, Rome from people from all over the world. And that's what the Pope tried to grapple with. Now, one of the concerns that he heard was the polarization that is evident in the church and in society as a whole. And really, that's the key thing that he is concerned about. It's polarization. Father Reese, can I just of- can I just jump in here for a second and, and forgive me? But my understanding from what Father Onyala was telling us before the break, and Father Onyala, please feel free to correct me if you're wrong, but is is that the concerns that uh, that um, Catholics in Africa had, some of which you just named, Father Reese, weren't getting equal attention in the synod as the uh, the issues from Europe and North America. Is that true, or is it just the way that it's been reported in Western media? Uh, I think it's much more the latter. Uh, The Western media has been focused on a narrow view, a narrow number of issues, Uh, the the issues that are of concern to their readers. Mm. uh, Well, Father Onyala, though, let me turn back back to him for a second. Father Onyala, do you agree with that or disagree? I think the the, the the issue is the the lack of understanding of the diversity of Africa. Um, so while, for example, immigration and people you know having broken families is an issue in some African countries, especially those of Northern Africa and where there is conflict, in other parts of Africa where there is tranquility, in Eastern Africa, in West Africa, um, what I highlighted would be more um 
an issue, the family apostolate with um, polygamy, with single mothers, um, if people who have uh, left one mother and another can be can receive Holy Communion, this would be the pastoral issues. Okay, so Father Reese, go ahead and respond to that, and then you were also going to say something else before I uh, interrupted. No, he's he's quite right. Uh, you know, to talk about uh, Africa in general is like talking about Europe mm-hmm. in general. Uh, you just can't do that, even talking about America in general. There is such variety, and that's what makes uh, a synod like this so interesting, that all of these people with different views, different concerns come together. But the Pope's primary concern is okay, how do we deal with these? Do we act like a parliament where we come in and form coalitions and vote and whoever gets the majority wins? No. He wants us to come together as brothers and sisters to listen to one another. Uh, We have to do a lot more listening than we do talking. And then listen to what the Spirit is telling uh, people. And then move together so that we take up once again the mission of Jesus, the mission to tell people about the love of God, about the uh, gospel message of love of neighbor and of the earth. Mm. Uh, And these are the important things that the church should be involved with. Okay. Professor Caveney, I'm going to come back to you in just one second here, but Father Reese, I've got another question for you. Um, Specifically, given the fact that you're also a priest (laughs) as well, uh, uh, Father Reese, because some of the changes that we've been talking about, now that I hear you say that the other thing that Francis is is very sensitive to are divisions, right? There are global divisions, political divisions, divisions within the church um, that especially may have an impact on um, whether or not, let's say, younger people choose to stay in the church. Does that give you a sense of urgency that some of the changes that are uh, under discussion in the Synod actually should happen, um, and perhaps on a faster timescale than change is usually considered to happen in the Church? Yeah, I would love to see things move much faster in the Church. But I, you know, I think Pope Francis uh, recognizes that uh, we are such a diverse church. We're over a billion members, and we're in every country in the world, every culture. And we've seen how uh, the Anglican church, the Episcopal church, has been so uh, disrupted and divided Mm. uh, when people move forward a little too fast. I want to move a lot faster on these issues, but that means I have to listen to other people who have other concerns. And Frankly, that's hard for me. I see. (laughs) Kathleen, go ahead. No, I think that that's exactly right. Pope Francis is prioritizing the unity of a global church. And and I understand how people want to move faster. And, and on many issues, I'd like to move faster, too. But I think what those of us who want to move faster need to say is, well, this isn't simply a question of progress 
per se. It's a question of moving forward together as a pilgrim community. And if you are on a pilgrimage, there are going to be people who can't see as well, who can't walk as well, who don't see things the same way you do. But the priority is keeping the group together. So how do you advance? How do you deepen but not leave anybody behind? Mm. Father Onyala, do you see that as a possibility that the church could advance on many of these issues as a as a unified world body? I see that as um, as a challenge um, and at the same time as an opportunity. Uh, the diversity of, of the church, the global Catholicism with all these over a billion people and um, the diversity of uh, the countries and the, as we rightly put it, the, the, the issues are not the same. The, 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 what is given weight in another continent is um, looked at as an issue in another. And perhaps that is the challenge that this um, synod is, I mean, gathering in Rome um, is having. And we are anticipating to see this synthesis document that is going to come out. And, and I'm sure uh, even putting it together could be a, a challenge. So it's more of a challenge an opportunity because then it's a, a, a long process. It started uh, in the dioceses and then it will go on for another year until October next year. So it gives an opportunity to bring on board, to discuss and to converse. And perhaps there could be some consensus. And if there are disagreements, there are also disagreements that are not tearing the church apart, but there is uh, some meeting points. Mm. Uh Kathleen Caveney, you wanted to talk I, about I just that. wanted to say that I think the Pope is also saying to those of us who are in the developed world, who are wealthy, you know, countries, is to also say, like, don't don't ignore people who are on the margins, particularly refugees and people who are impoverished. One of the point of these meetings is really to hear how other people are suffering. Um, the church is a field hospital. The church is meant to go out to the peripheries. So that in can include the existential peripheries, such as you know LGBTQ people and women, but it also centrally includes the people who are suffering because of material uh, lack and because of war. And mm -hmm. I think that that's his message to the U.S. as much. Yeah. So it's interesting. I mean, I completely understand how this conversation has centered around theological and spiritual questions, right, that mm -hmm. can uh, that Francis is, is thinking through and the Synod is thinking through now as well. But I can't avoid... I mean, when uh, Father Reese talked about divisions, right. I, I can't avoid thinking about sort of the, the political divisions sure. that are experienced within the Catholic Church itself and then how that's, that's spilling over into, you know, nations as a whole. Uh, here's an example. We spoke with Ashley McGuire, a senior fellow with the Catholic Association, and she thinks, for example, the discussion around whether Catholic women should be able to be ordained is actually a bigger deal in the media than it is to Catholic women in the pews. Mm -hmm. I think Catholic women are a little tired of the cliche that women feel like, I don't know, somehow we're not a part of the church because we're not priests. And I think, you know, I'm part of a women's group that meets every week in the basement of a church and that never comes up. What comes up are, you know, things like pregnancy loss and, you know, pain and suffering that people are experiencing from suicide and addiction and that's where the women in the church that I know are at when it comes to what are the questions and challenges and, and things that women want their voices heard on in the church. 
McGuire also told us that she says people should not expect fundamental changes to church doctrine to come out of the synod. In many ways, I converted because of the church's sort of countercultural position. I mean, really what drew me to the church was the steadiness of church teaching and that sort of immutable factor uh, when it comes to truth. The Pope himself has even said that fundamental church teaching, even he can't change. Um, Nobody can change that because the church was established by Jesus Christ and his teachings. And, you know, we don't have the authority to change that. So, Professor Caveney, let me quickly ask you, um, is there the possibility that, you know, whether even if it's years from now, if the church makes some significant changes in the issues that we've been discussing, um, that it could actually, instead of providing unity, create deeper divisions between Catholics? Well, I think the church has to change in a way that's uh, that's organic to, its, um, to, to, to itself. So I don't think immediate change is going to work, although I think uh, Ms. McGuire has a little bit too simplistic understanding of, of what it means to have continuity and change. The church has changed its mind um, on several issues. Lending money at interest used to be a, a, an intrinsically evil act. You couldn't do it. Now the church invests along with everyone else. So I think a good knowledge of history and historical development is important. I think in the U.S., what the Pope is trying to overcome is the culture war mentality that was framed as mm-hmm. the culture of life versus the culture of death under John Paul II's Evangelium Vitae, and that got politicized into the U.S. So the the culture of life became identified with the Republican Party and, and opposition to abortion, and a lot of conservative Catholics frame the culture of death as the Democratic Party. Um, and I think the Pope wants to try to say, let's not frame things in a culture war framework. But that means it's incumbent on both liberals and conservatives not to say, well, I'm going to write you out of the church because you don't agree with me on this issue. Huh. Interesting. Well, with that, I'm afraid we have to wrap up. There's so much more to discuss, but I appreciate the time that all of you have been able to give us today. Kathleen Caveney, professor of theology and law at Boston College, thank you so very much. Welcome. Thank you for having me. And Father Tom Reese, senior analyst at Religion News Service and a Jesuit priest as well, joining us today from Rome. Father Reese, much appreciated. Thank you so much. Sure. Good to be with you. And Father Don Bosco Onyala, Editor-in-Chief of the Association for Catholic Information in Africa, joining us today from Nairobi, Kenya. Father Onyala, thank you so much for joining us. It was a pleasure having you. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. This is On Point. <laughs> 